Welcome to the Atlantic Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Varnado, and this week's guest is Lori Winters. She's the founder and CEO of Thread, and Lori is a successful business owner that I first met at Concert. And Concert was a joint venture, uh, telecom joint venture between MCI and British Telecom. And I realized that was about 25 years ago, which is insane. But Lori's been a great friend over the years. I've always admired her intelligence, strong work ethic, and competitiveness. When we both share a passion for all things Georgia Tech, uh, including their sports uh, teams. So uh, unfortunately, it's been a bit of a challenge leading up this year, but um, we'll, we're optimistic anyway. So I know Lori is now a successful business owner, and I've been looking forward to our conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Lori. Thank you so much, Paul. <laughs> you definitely made me sound intelligent. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> well, I was typing this up and I thought, she's competitive. I just remember like everything sports related, work related. I mean, there was, if there was a competition, man, you were in it. And uh, so I'm sure that's not changed, but uh, it's good. I know your, your children are, you know, they're all competitive in their own sports fields too. So uh, I know you've passed that gene along. So Absolutely. Good. I guess now I realize why I have one that's super competitive hates to lose. And every time she annoys me, I realize I created that. So <laughs> now it's all about create, you know, competition and business. So that's fun. Anything you can put in front of you to keep score track and to get better. I mean, that's, that's how you improve. So it's always a good thing. And a lot of, you know, sports is a great metaphor for life. There's a lots of lessons you can learn about hard work and perseverance and dealing with injuries or any sort of external things, working as a team. I mean, those are all great qualities. So definitely. Absolutely. Well, well, let's start with your background. You and I met um, at uh, at concert, but you're originally from Macon. Tell me a little bit about growing up down there, how you wound up um, coming to Georgia Tech or to Atlanta, and kind of what your first job looked like coming out of school. Absolutely. So Macon, Georgia was my hometown, and um, I was lucky enough to go to a great high school, uh, Mount DeSales, which was a private uh, Catholic school in Macon. And my parents put me there because the high schools in Macon were not very good. So yeah, it was a challenge. You know, the, the schools there were, were um, very difficult and not difficult, but not very good. So went to Mount DeSales that I look back as being such a major impact in my life because they really built a foundation of competitiveness of education and, um, you know, the reason I picked Georgia Tech, first of all, my parents didn't have a lot of money. Um, they gave me everything that I needed, maybe not everything I wanted, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I knew I was going to go to school as much as I might have wanted to go out of state. I knew I was going to stay in state. Yeah. And I had a great biology teacher at the time who said, you know, have you ever looked at this biotech? There's a new biotech uh, degree at the school, Georgia Tech, which I knew nothing about. And um, you should really look into it. So I said, oh, what the heck? I will, um, I'll apply. And if I get in, I'll go. So yeah. that's kind of how I picked Georgia Tech. I, and I also, I was always one that didn't like to follow the crowd. So all of my friends were going to UGA and yeah. Georgia Southern at the time. Yeah. And um, once I got into tech, I remember somebody saying, um, you know, everybody who's going to UGA go to this corner of the gym. And it was a very large percentage of my class. Yeah. And I was so excited that I was in a very small little group of about five people going to tech. So that was kind of the, that's who I was, I guess a little bit, but yeah. that was uh, again, Georgia tech was probably the next best thing that happened to me after that. 
was there were there certain classes um, or experiences in high school that prepared you for Georgia Tech? Well, I did. I was lucky enough to take um, at the time pre-calculus. You know, this was a million years ago, right? So I don't even. We didn't have AP back then. We didn't yeah. have AP calculus and all that, but we did have pre-calculus, and I took that, and that really helped me a lot because I remember being at Tech and I had friends in class that had not had any kind of calculus background. Mm-hmm. And I that think was that, me. Yeah. <laughs> that even though we covered that material in the first week or two, it is so different, right? Calculus is so different that it helped me um, be okay, you know, understand what was going on and succeed early on at tech where some mm-hmm. of my friends really did not. They struggled because they didn't have that background. So, I, you know, uh, Mount DeSales prepared me well for that. That's good. That's good. So you, you come into tech, did you know what you wanted to major in or what you were thinking you might want to do post-graduation? Yeah. So this is a great journey um, for me to be talking to your audience because I remember thinking that at the time I wanted to be a doctor. So I went to Georgia tech pre-med and that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I went to tech pre-med. This kind of shows you, you can, you can do all kinds of things. You don't have to worry about what you're deciding to do early on. You know, you try different things out. So I went to uh, tech pre-med and part of the way, part of the way through, first of all, organic chemistry was really hard, (laughs) (laughs) but um, I didn't do that, that poorly. It's just that I, you know, I didn't come from a lot of money uh, background wise. And I knew that for me to go to medical school, I remember at Georgia Tech, I think I lived off of ramen noodles and baked potatoes every now and then some popcorn or I would cook mac and cheese. (laughs) And I just couldn't imagine going many more years with no money. And so I had friends at tech who were engineers and decided, Hey, I think I'm just going to look around and and just look into other options. So um, I went and talked to, this was, I was talking to my daughter about this the other day. I went and talked to the Dean of the industrial engineering school. And of course he made fun of me for being pre-med because he said, what do you want to learn about bugs? And (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) But of all, I also talked to the aerospace school, which is so different. But I remember uh, the dean of industrial engineering at the time was very well put together, buttoned down guy and just really cool guy. And he said, industrial engineering is what you should look at. You know, you're going to learn basic engineering background, but you're also going to learn a little bit about business. And from that moment on, I was like, that's my degree. So I switched majors to industrial engineering and I had a five-year um, five-year stint at GT. So it wasn't the E E I E I M. I'm out. <laughs> right. I didn't start double I started pre-med. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of went and and it, in your own direction, but uh, that's great. Always. Did, yep. Did you um, did you co-op or how did you how did you handle like your time between? Um, years? Did you do some summer job somewhere or what did that look like? Yeah, no, I did not co-op. But what I I did have jobs, I worked at the information desk at the student center for a while to make money. And people would ask me directions, which I'm very directionally challenged. So (laughs) I I remember feeling really bad (laughs) that I might send somebody to the wrong place. But I did some jobs. Um, I worked at a car dealership at night. So I'd go to school and then I'd go to work for yep. uh, a few hours at night. And you know, what did you do at the dealership? 
I was, um, I was a, just a secretary administrative person. Did you so, get involved in the sales? Cause that, those are life lessons on their own, which I think are amazing. They are life lessons. And I got to know a lot of the car, car salesmen and realized that that was not the job that I wanted. <laughs> But I do, I do remember they had great personalities and I did love that part of, um, of, you know, sales. I did not, you know, I, I ended up going into a, we'll talk about sales career, but I didn't start out that way. Yeah. So I was just trying to make ends meet and, um, I didn't really have a whole, you know, the, the nowadays kids are going through and they're planning out internships or co-ops and they've got a real solid plan to yep. their college yep days. And I really did not. It was just surviving. Yeah. I think, you know, our generation, one, we didn't have the web. So your right. access to other influences was pretty limited, you know, around your parents or professors or, you know, anybody in your immediate area um, or family. It was really about it. And so right. sometimes you kind of stumbled in it and you almost had to sort of be open to anything new and jumping into it. Whereas, now, like you said, it's more structured, it's more focused. You've got, you know, a, a plan to kind of go through here. And it's, um, it is very different. You know, I think that the kids today have got, I mean, they're smart as a whip, but they, and they've also got lots of uh, resources that they can kind of figure out and kind of work through that right. maybe we didn't have. But still at the time, you know, you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. And even with all those resources available to you, you still sometimes have no idea. And so that's what these conversations are about to kind of unwind some of the things that, you know, how you get from, you know, point A to point M or point right. Z, you know, so. I think sometimes everybody overthinks, you know, they, they try sure. to figure it out way too early. And, and part of it is just the process, you know, yeah. in, in really enjoying the process. And I know real serious students won't understand, won't understand it. And I have uh, three of them that are in college right now or, or recently out of college. And part of that is just, you know, I really think experiencing different things, you know, and, and we'll yeah. talk about how I got to where I am now, which is totally different from where I thought it would be. Yeah. But, but to get to where you need to be, you know, sometimes takes a little bit of a, you know, trying different things. You know, that's what you're going to hear from me tonight is uh, trying different paths, trying, trying different things. And that makes you, much more well-rounded. Yeah, for sure. So first job coming out of Georgia Tech, where was that? <laughs> That's another funny one. <laughs> anytime, anytime my oldest daughter is complaining about what she's doing right now, she's in finance, private, private equity somewhat. Uh -huh. And she's talking about hours that she works. And I always say to her, remember my first job out of college, I was wearing earplugs and a hairnet and a shirt with my name on it. So my first job was Frito-Lay. And I, I'm sure kids coming out of uh, Georgia Tech, if they're still recruiting heavily there, uh, Frito-Lay re recruited very heavily. Yeah, it was a big pass. Georgia Tech, yep. yep. And I had three job offers. That was what was great um, about college is, you know, and, and the, the market was great when I got out. So I had, you know, through the placement center, I interviewed, I think I interviewed pretty well. I, um, you know, I practiced a lot and, and I, felt like I was somewhat personable. So I had three job offers. Uh, I, we, had, we were in the quarter system at the time, so a quarter before I graduated. And Frito-Lay was by far the most, um, most money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I said, oh, 
Frito-Lay, I'm going to take that job. So I uh, went to work for Frito-Lay as a packaging manager. And I showed up and I had to, um, I was working night shift. So nights yeah. and worked 12 to 14 hour days or nights, I guess. Yeah. And I was managing about 20 packaging specialists, most of which were women old enough to be my mother yeah. and probably hated me. Yeah. Because I'm 22, 23 years old and knew nothing. Yeah. I thought I knew everything though. Mm-hmm. And um and I'm managing them. And so yeah. that was um crazy crazy time, but we there were a lot of Georgia Tech at the time Georgia Tech graduates that were there. So we really bonded together and um we had a little fun with it, but it was uh you know, not what I really expected that I would be doing. The first week I was there. They have you, they have you rotate and do all the, before you can manage anyone, which I, to this day, still very highly respect this. You had to work every single job in the plant. So including I spent a day with a over the road truck driver, 18 wheeler and um, delivered potato chips, you know, in South Georgia. So you had to do every job. Um, I was on the, you know, pairing, uh, station where as these potatoes are flying by, if they had green spots, you're pulling it off and you've got this ginormous knife and you're cutting it off. Mm-hmm. Could have cut off my hand. Um, so that was my first job. And I, and I remember thinking at the time, I cannot believe I am doing this. I yeah. got a Georgia tech degree and I'm wearing a hairnet, earplugs, a shirt with my name on it, cutting potatoes and all this other crazy stuff. But it was, um, made me realize I didn't want to be in that in manufacturing. Yeah. But I also learned a lot. What would you say some of your um, valuable lessons were? Because I mean, it's not easy being a young manager and having to connect with 40 something or 50 something year olds, right? That are probably a little bit resentful. Um, You have nothing in common with them. Right. And you know, they've got to, they got to listen to your direction, even though you're learning the company and the industry at the same time you're learning how to be a manager. Right. So what were some things that you did be successful in that role? Well, I remember one time that um, I was I was very nervous about the fact that I tried to pretend that I was all that, right? But in in my mind, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Imposter syndrome, right? Imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. These people probably think that I am, and you know, just some kind of hoity-toity um, person that just graduated college who knows nothing, and pretty much that's what I was, I guess. Yeah. Big shot from the city coming in and tell me what to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I do remember that I wanted, I wanted their respect, you know, more than anything. And I wanted to understand where they were coming from. And for the first, I don't know, couple months, I was not probably doing very well because I know that, you know, their personality was, we're going to test this new manager and see how weak she is. Um, and so I remember at the end of our shifts, multiple days in a row, we would have a mess, you know, sometimes I'd come in and potato chips had been raining on the floor from the, from the conveyor belts above. Um, we'd have a problem with packaging and and the fryer was just (laughs) kicking out chips and they would just walk out. They would walk out knowing that I was going to be concerned about how it looked. So I would clean it up for them. Yeah. And one day I just decided, I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so they all left one morning and it was a mess. And I ran out to the parking lot 
And I said, if anybody does not, anyone who does not come back in and help me clean up, please don't report to work tonight because you will not have a job, which the funny part is I could not have backed that up. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big company and you had to follow, you know, the seven stages of discipline right. before anybody could ever get terminated. Yeah. Um, but I was so tired of being walked on that. I just went out there and just said, anybody who, you know, I basically was like, anybody who doesn't come back and help me clean up, you're done. Yeah. And they can't, they, most of them came back in and they helped me clean up. And from that point on, I had a decent amount of their respect. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is I would just get on the line. If things were kind of getting crazy, I would help them package and just kind of, whether it was right or wrong, that's what I did. I just kind of helped them. I just, wanted to be one of them yeah. and um, help get the work done when things were getting crazy. Or if it was somebody time for somebody to take a break, I'd go take their, their line and let them go to break. And so I really wanted to earn their respect multiple ways. And yeah, and, it, you, you know, know, what it wasn't called at the time was servant leadership. You know, that's a big term now, but that's exactly what you were doing. Right. And yep. did it, did it earn their respect? It absolutely did. I, yeah. it, the, it changed my life the, for the rest of the time that I was there. And I was only there a couple of years because very quickly I, just, I decided it's really not what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. I think it's, you know, I know for me, I, I learned more about what I didn't want to do than what I did want to do. And, but you have to kind of go through it and there's lessons of each that you can kind of take with you and figure right. out. So you do have marriage. to learn what you don't want to do. And, you know, so many people coming out of college, I think, think that they have to have it all figured out. Yeah. And I don't know if you know who Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk is, but yes, yep. I love him. I listen to his podcast. He's a little crazy and wild, but <laughs> what I love about him is he's always telling people, you know, go do something and you could be 30 years old and decide, you know what? I've just spent all this time and I don't like what I'm doing. And you've still got decades ahead of you yeah. to do something different. So I think so many people try to figure out exactly what they want to do right out of school. And you just don't know till you try because when, you know, you were in at tech and, you know, I was industrial engineering major. I didn't even know what that really meant at the yeah. time, yeah. you know, and you don't know, and it doesn't necessarily equate to the job you're going to take. And until you're in it, you don't really know what that means. So what I just, you know, my biggest recommendation to people that age and, and my girls are, I have three girls. They're all about that age, 18 to 24 right now. Yeah. Um, is don't overthink it. Go do the job. It may not be the job you do forever, but it's going to take you to a path, you know, that is going to get you where you need to be. And you'll start deciding what you as important as what you like, what you don't like. That's great advice. Yeah. I think uh you can overthink and overanalyze and sometimes you can get into that analysis paralysis where right. you now you're afraid to take a step or you're afraid to fail or um, you know, you don't really know how this is going to work out. So why, why even try, you know? So, and I think that's, I know I suffered from that. I, I wanted to sort of be, you know, good at what I did right out of the gate. And you know, what I didn't realize is that people, cause I started at Delta airlines and people were, you know, there for, 30, 35 years. I mean, it was, you go there and that's your career. So what I didn't realize is that people that had been there a long time expected me to spend five years to try to figure life out, you know, and I, like you being a young manager, I wanted to make sure that I showed competency and achievement and all those things right out of the gate, which 
is a lot of pressure on something that, you know, a lot of times you can't control and, right. you know, you're new at the game. You're going to have to learn, you know, the hard way. And, and networking was another thing that I think was really big. Um, so I don't know if, um, you know, we'll talk a little about, you know, kind of how you got into where you are, but the Frida lay, that was a, that was a nice chapter to, uh, to start your career. <laughs> yeah. So where did you go from Frida lay So after Frida lay I went into, um, I went to work for Sprint that's how I got into the telecommunications uh, world. Mm-hmm. And I was in the network network design group at, um, at Sprint where we were designing, you know, the actual networks for um, the, the phone networks for companies. And, you know, the, the job for me was really, I was, I was just a low level uh, engineer for um, bigger teams you know, that were selling, I was, I, I started a little bit in that role supporting a sales team, which will lead me to where I ended up. But, you know, I was the tech technical resource behind a sales organization when there'd be an RFP that would come in and a big company, you know, RFP. And um, we would be designing the, the, the network infrastructure for that, that RFP. And that was a great, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that job. It was very different from my manufacturing days. Um, and it was, uh, it was technical, but I also really, really loved supporting a sales organization. Yeah. Um, because they were in the, they were in the thick of it in my mind. They were out, you know, trying to win deals. Yeah. They were kind of the new players, you know, Bell South at the time, you know, it's AT&T yep. now, but Bell South and even MCI were sort of the bigger carriers and Sprint was this third one. Right. Um, how did, how did you move from manufacturing to telecom? I moved from manufacturing to telecom because I decided <laughs> Uh, you may not know this about me, but I decided <laughs> I really didn't want to do that job anymore. And I hate to give this advice to anyone, but I just gave my notice, left after two weeks and decided I was in Perry, Georgia. Yep. And I decided I wanted to get back up to Atlanta. And so that's what I did. So I left without a job. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So you come to Atlanta. Ad- not giving that advice to anyone. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was young. I was young and I was, uh, it kind of shows my personality a little bit. I don't have a lot of fear of things. And so I just said, I, I don't want to do manufacturing anymore. I gave my notice, left, came up to Atlanta, did a couple things in the meantime before I got to Sprint and, um, and then got, you know, through a recruiter found, you know, got the job at Sprint. Gotcha. So that's how I ended up there. Um, it was just kind of by luck really that I got to sprint and I can't say that I had a plan to go into telecom yeah. because I didn't. Yeah. And, and that's why I think if you look at my career, it's very different from others that maybe you've talked to. It's the early days were kind of like, let me do this and I'll try it and see if I like it. And then I don't really like that. So I'm going to go try this. And that's what I did. Now, a lot of people are scared to do that. I do think that you learn a lot by trying different things. For I don't sure. necessarily give the same advice to my to my <laughs> daughters to just go, you know, up and give a two week notice and go somewhere else. Yeah. I try to pretend that um, maybe that's not the right path, but it did get me to where I was. So, it, you know, it worked out. I went to Sprint, worked there for a couple of years. And that is when from that point on, I never looked for another job. 
um, my work kind of, I wanted to make a name for myself there. I didn't, I, I was out of the manufacturing world and I was just excited to be in this other, this other place. And so I was the first one in last one out, wanted to make it. In. And I'm not saying that that's the right answer, but I definitely yeah. wanted to be noticed. And so yeah. I just worked my butt off. And, you know, after that, I was um, at Sprint. I got called by a recruiter who, uh, that's how I got moved over to Concert, where I met you. So Concert, um, somebody recruited me to come to Concert from Sprint. And I had no real desire to leave, but I was, I took the call and I was talking to them. And I think I was, you know, making... I don't know. The offer was probably 20% more than what I was making then. Mm -hmm. And so that had me interested. And um, I loved the fact that concert had more of like a, an international connection to it, you know, Yep. the joint venture between MCI and, and BT that really made me excited. That was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. You know, I had never traveled. Like I said, I grew up very modest background and the idea of that maybe I could ever go to visit England or somewhere, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. If I could go to the UK, oh my gosh. So <laughs> they recruited me and I went and interviewed and that's where I met Chris Jeffrey, yep. who was my boss there. And Our I was just, leader. oh my gosh, I was so in love with that. Like the whole <laughs> idea, you know, and he had an English accent. You're going to yep. go to, you're going to go to London. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so I took that job and met you. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a good it was it was a really good culture, you know, um good dynamic, smart smart people there. Um I know I definitely learned a lot and that cuz I had left my first job at Delta to come that was my second job. And um you know, it was very different from the airline industry, but I worked in the their IT group anyway, and so I was working with a lot of our telecom vendors and so to your point, it had an international flair to it, which I was really curious about. So it was, it was kind of neat to come in and do, you know, working with big international banks and learning how the networks are built out and how you sort of handle capacity. And, you know, right. it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. The first time I, I don't, the first time that I got, you know, sent to London, I had never been out of the country. So I just remember flying in and thinking I have died and gone to heaven. Yeah. Like this <laughs> is amazing. I'm living a dream. Yeah. You know, yeah. nowadays these kids are like coming out, they're doing, you know, some of them are doing some international travel and or the study abroad. That's like the study norm abroad. Now, you know? And, you know, yeah. my kids have traveled and I just didn't have that. And I, I just remember landing in London and thinking, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. You know, it was so, it was so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So you were, I think I left concert before you did. No, you did. Cause you went to. Well, what was so your then, next stop? So one of our vendors, NET, Network Equipment NET, Technologies. That's what it was. Yep. And this, I always go back to this and think he was really bold to do this, but the sales rep at the time for NET um, selling into concert recruited mm -hmm. me yep. to come to NET. And I just think, wow, you recruited somebody. You kind of poached somebody from 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 your customer. <laughs> that took some. Uh, that took a little bit of boldness. But well, that's he. He is bold for sure. So he is bold. He is bold. <laughs> so I remember talking to him, and there was no way I was leaving again. I never looked another time for a job really. And and he said, um, 
you should come to work for NET. We're the, we're the vendor. We're the, you know, we, we build this stuff. And I was thinking, why do I want to go work for a company that's like building, you know, technology, you know, network equipment. Like I'm on the service side. This is fun. Why would I go over there? And then he talked to me about like comp structure and, you know, he goes, you just, you have no idea what you're leaving on the table. Like we make a lot more money than you do. Yeah. Yeah. And not that I'm financially driven, but uh, totally, but <laughs> that was a big, that was a big jump. In fact, he had me come and I really respected him, at, you know, Dave at the time. And yeah. um, he had me come and interview and I said, what the heck, I'll go interview. I'm young, you know, I'll try it. I interviewed and I just remember talking when they said, okay, so here's the compensation structure. And it was double what I was making. Like it was so much more. I could not believe it because it was on the sales side. You know, yeah. now I'm moving over to the sales side, which was um, my potential earnings was double. You know, my, yeah. my salary was probably 50% higher and I had no idea what sales meant, you know? So I, um, and it was technology sales. So you still had to be, you know, you had to understand the technology behind it. It was almost all engineers who were brought mm -hmm. in to, you know, engineers or technical management type people who could sell this, uh, this equipment. So I went over there and um, worked for NET. That was probably one of the, the, the most fun time I've had is working for, it was about $250 million company. So not big in the space. Um, you know, we were competing with really big companies like Cisco at the time. That was challenging. Yeah. But, but it was, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was with, I was in a sales office. So it was a small satellite office to NET, mostly salespeople. I was a network engineer at the time. So I was still on the technical side supporting sales. Um, and then, you know, pretty quickly after that, I moved into a full uh, sales role um, and then sales management role at NET. How long were you at NET? I was at NET a few years and then um, Dave, who was my boss at the time, left and went to Nortel Networks. This will be my last job before I started my business. <laughs> um, he went to Nortel Networks, and which he had come from. He left Nortel to go to NET and then he got seduced back to, to Nortel. And I just remember at the time, um, NET was starting to struggle a little bit with competing. They were, like I said, 250 million, pretty small in the space. And, um, you know, this is right before the tech bubble, mm -hmm. but they, you know, they were really struggling to compete and trying to compete with Cisco was becoming harder and harder. He went to, uh, went, decided to go back to Nortel, which was devastating to me because we worked great together. And, um, I actually had an opportunity after he left to run the whole Southeast region. And he tried, he decided he recruited me to come to Nortel. And so um, the pattern here, it was a tough, yeah, he, he, he brought me over twice. Yeah. I did two tours of duty with Dave. Um, we're still friends to this day. He and his wife and, and Dale and I, um, but you know, going over to Nortel was interesting it would not, you know, I loved NET, but I felt that they were really going to struggle competing. And yeah. Nortel was a hundred year old 
Canadian company actually, mm-hmm. who was in the you know telephone world. They were a big player back in the day. Big player back in the day, and they hired. They wanted to hire me to run the data side of the division and and compete. They had bought a company, Bay Networks, and, and they wanted me to continue to compete with Cisco. Yeah, <laughs> it was the the behemoth in the space. And so I, that was my last, uh, my last tour of duty before I started my company was Nortel and working for Dave one last time. Yeah. So that, so it's interesting because now your, your career is going to change again, right? So what was, what was kind of your mindset leading up to the change? I know the, the, uh, I guess the work in the, the time of the year, you know, we had a crash in 2000 and I don't know if that played into it, but tell me a little bit about how you wound up going into your own company. So it definitely played into it. I had a lot of stock options at Nortel and we, we were all thinking we were going to be wealthy from stock. Yeah. We kept, uh, you know, we would, we would, it would increase and double and then split and double and split. And we, we were riding high on stock. And then all of a sudden, right before that tech craziness hit, um, the first day that that was the beginning of the end, it dropped. I can't even remember where it was at, but it dropped like 15 points in a day, 80 to, you know, 80 to 65 or something like that. And um, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the most money. Like knowing how many options I had, this is the most money I will ever have in my life. I can't let it drop anymore. I've got to sell it. (laughs) And all my peers thought I was crazy. They're like, Oh my gosh, it's coming back. We're going to be great. I sold it all. And you know, that actually that, that decision turned out to be a good one, but I, you know, that was just luck Mm -hmm. because Nortel, which I said was a hundred year old company, um, Canadian ended up years later going, you know, filing bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, but that stock never came back to where you, you had it when you sold it. Went to nothing, basically to nothing. And so that turned out to be a really good decision, but you know, it was just, it was luck, total luck. But when I saw it drop like that and I real remember like I, I, it was just the most money I ever had on paper. Mm-hmm. And when I saw f- such a big drop of it, you know, drop a big piece of it go, it concerned me at the time. And I just said, I'm, I'm selling it. And so I did. And, and so many people, so many of my peers did not. And, you know, they lost a lot, but uh, Nortel was looking at the time. It looked like it was in trouble, you know, and they were looking at the time. And so, you know, I'm a female, obviously at this point I had a child and, um, Nortel was going to start sending me to Latin America. I was traveling a lot already. I'd gone to Israel. I, you know, I'd been doing longer trips Mm -hmm. at Nortel than I was before. And with one, one child, I started realizing I really didn't want to travel like that anymore. And yeah, I was going to have to start traveling a lot more to uh, Latin America. They were reducing their people, reducing their, their staff. And I was going to have to do a lot more travel. And so I don't know what happened with me. um, But I just decided that I wanted to go try to figure out how to start a business. I had some money and I went to, I remember asking my boss to, they were looking for people to take a package and I I was in sales, so they weren't looking for anybody in sales to take a package. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'd really love to take a package. And my boss at the time, VP of sales there said, 
um, no, we don't want, we don't want you to take a package. We want you to stay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, we know, you know, you have a child. I said, I have a child. I don't, I don't want to do this kind of travel. Um, and they offered me an opportunity to job share with another woman who had a baby at the time. And they said, how about wow. you two do a job share and, you know, you can, you stay and, um, you know, you continue to make money, still work for the company and you split the job, the, the responsibility. And I knew my personality was, I'm going to do a hundred percent of the work and I'm going to get, now I'm going to get 50% of the pay because I'm not going to be able to let it go. <laughs> right. That's how I'm wired. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I, I'm not really interested in that. And thankfully at the time I was really good friends with somebody in HR and I talked her into giving me a package. So I got a severance package, which paid for my insurance for like health insurance for a year and That's six awesome. months salary. And I took the package and decided that, and, and to be honest with you, Nortel was a great company. It just wasn't, I guess I, I am a very entrepreneurial and you'll, you'll see that, yeah. you know, I started yep. a business and, and um, I'm still very entrepreneurial personality. And so Nortel was not, a perfect fit for me. It was a very large company with a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. And I wanted to move faster. So I would be trying to compete with Cisco and I'd want to try to get, you know, something into a test, uh, test facility for Bell South international at the time. And they would say, Oh, you can't do that. We just met for special pricing. You're going to have to wait, you know, two months for us to meet again. And I'm like, no, you can't wait. Like I've got an opportunity. We've got to move. Yeah. Yeah. So Nortel was just not built for my personality. I like to move a little bit faster and be a little more entrepreneurial. So, um, you know, that's why I decided I wanted to go do something on my own. And I, and then I had a little bit of money to do that. So I decided I took the package and I, and, um, decided to just sit back and decide what I wanted to do from there. Yeah. So choice accounting. So you've gone yep. from, from manufacturing to telecom sales yep. to accounting. Tell me about that. Yeah. So at the time, my brother was a CPA and I was, I spent a little bit of time at home trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to start a business, but I didn't know what. Um, obviously I wasn't going to start a telecom business, <laughs> you know, <laughs> against Cisco. Like, yeah. What am I going to do? And he was a CPA and he said, you know, I've always wanted to start an accounting outsourced accounting firm, but I don't really know, you know, what to do and how to get business. And so I said, well, I'm going to start a business. I just don't know what it is yet. So I know how to sell. I'll help you start your business while I'm trying to decide what business I'm going to start. Okay. So that's kind of how it started. He, um, so we, we put all these plans together. He's a very big planner. He's, he's good with numbers. He ran, he ran all these, you know, worst case, best case, and, you know, most likely case scenarios. And I told him, you know, I can sell. I know how to sell, which I, I didn't know how to sell accounting services. It's a very different type of sales process. I came from selling very large companies which is a lot more account management mm -hmm. than actual, you know, in the trenches sales. <laughs> and now I'm going to go sell um, accounting services to small business. Very, very different. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know anything about accounting. I had taken two accounting classes in uh, as a, as an IE and a couple finance classes, but I really didn't know anything about accounting. Um, but I told him I could sell. So, He's not a, he's not a salesy kind of guy. And, um, 
so I decided, you know, let's go into business together short term until I decide what I'm going to do. This will be fun. Mm-hmm. I go get a lead, le- a lead list. I bought a lead list and I just started, you know, pounding the phones. Had no experience doing that. Just started calling, started sending letters and, um, you know, trying to find opportunities. I realized I hated doing cold calling. So I hired somebody to cold call <laughs> for me after a couple months and she started setting appointments for me. And so I would go out and I would meet prospects about outsourced accounting and um, I realized I didn't, I was in over my head when a, a guy that owned a plumbing company, a very small mom and pop plumbing company knew more about balance sheets than I did. He starts questioning me on them and I couldn't answer the question. So I went back to the office. I sat my brother down. I said, okay, teach me about balance sheets again. Cause I can't remember what I learned in college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so he taught me and, Um, we built that business up. He decided he really didn't like managing people. And I, that's the point where I realized I really loved managing and and leading people in a company. And so I really managed the people side of the business and the sales side of the business. And he just, he did the accounting work. He was an incredibly smart accountant and that's what he wanted to do. And um, so I helped, you know, helped him build that business and, it's kind of, uh, uh, again, maybe luck, but companies that do outsourced accounting also want their accountants to do payroll. And most accountants hate payroll, including my brother. Yeah. So I'd bring it back and I'd say, hey, you know, uh, this plumbing company, whatever, ABC Plumbing Company also wants us to do their payroll. And he'd say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I hate payroll. So I decided to go tour a couple payroll companies that were local smaller ones, not the big guys, ADP paychecks, but some of the smaller ones. Mm -hmm. And I toured a couple of the payroll companies trying to determine who we were going to outsource our payroll to. And as I went through one of them, I realized, you know, this is industrial engineering, which is all about process. And what I loved about payroll at the time was you've just got to build a really great process because at the, at the time back then it was all volume based. You need, you've got small businesses, you've got to build a great process and you've got to run it very efficiently to make money. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I loved about it was you're not billing anybody in the accounting world. You've got a very high AR balance. People don't want to pay their accountants and they'll do all the work for them and then you bill them and then they're slow to pay and, and what I found out about payroll was you don't bill anybody, you know, you ACH your fees when you, when you pull their, their money, their tax money, and you're moving tax for, you know, paying their taxes for them. And, but you have no AR. And yeah. It's I taken love, with the transaction, right? Yeah. It's yeah. taken with the transaction and it's a small amount each time, but it's, it builds on volume. So I went back that day to my brother and I said, you know what? I want to build a payroll company. That's what I want to do which I knew nothing about. Um, and that's how I got into, that's, you know, payroll, which is now, you know, more than payroll. We do a lot more than that, but that's yeah. how I got started in payroll. And, um, but you know what, that, that's great life lessons for younger people that, you know, you, you didn't have any, you know, um, huge idea about selling enterprise telecom equipment, but you learned, right. And you right. had confidence in yourself and you had, you know, acquisitive and lifelong active learning that you could play into and figure it out, right? And right. I think same thing with accounting, right? Because I remember when you first went into that, I thought, 
She what? she has no background in that. I, I can't imagine she wants to go into that. But when you think <laughs> about it, when you break it down, because I went into software development, same thing. It's a process. You've got inputs. You have some process with some sequence and how you do checkpoints and quality and then an output. And if you can right. lay it out in those simple terms, you can do just about anything in any industry if you put it in those those that type of a framework. So that's, yeah, it's it makes total sense now. But at the time, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> People thought it was crazy. <laughs> well, it, well, and I think too was, you know, because I, I thought, okay, well, she must have had this light bulb that said, oh yeah, accounting, that's exactly what I want to do. But, you know, what you proved is, you didn't know, but you were going to try it and see how it right. worked. And then something sparked and said, I can do that. And now mm-hmm. can I do it? That competitive nature said, I can do it probably better than other people. So let's go after it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It is funny that you say that because I remember when I toured the other payroll companies, I said, this is easy. I'm going to be the best. Like yeah. there's not much competition. Yeah. Now there's a lot of competition, but the, at the time there just wasn't that much competition that I don't know what it was with me, but there was something that sparked in me about incredible customer service. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to be the best. I wanted companies to love us, you know? And I just felt at the time that there was no, there was no competition from a customer service perspective. The big guys were great companies, but they were so big that they had kind of lost touch with the service side a little bit. Yeah. Um, they just struggled with that. And so I felt like there was a real opportunity to do it a little bit different. That's awesome. That's a great story. So you, you start getting in the payroll business, yep. having some success. Um, you know, how do you get, because you rebranded at some point, right? From choice right. to thread. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yep. So we started out as choice payroll and we focused on small business payroll, probably clients under a hundred employees. And, um, you know, we, we had a lot of success. I had to go learn what payroll was all about. Most of my peers that have small to mid-sized companies um, came from ADP or paychecks and they knew what they were doing to start out. You know, they understood the whole thing. I had to go learn it from the ground up. I had to learn what does ACH mean? You know, yeah. that's how you pull money. What uh-huh. is, how do you pay taxes for companies? How do you do direct deposit? I knew none of that. And so I joined an organization called IPPA, Independent Payroll Providers Association. And I remember going to my first meeting. I had broken my ankle trying to play basketball with like my neighbor's 15-year-old son, thinking I was still good. And I fell and broke my ankle. And right before I'm going to go off to this, um, this organization, this conference where I'm going to learn some stuff, you know, and I'm in a cast and I'm hop. I just decided I'm going anyway. So I go to this organization and I sit down at a conference and I just decided I'm going to look for the people that are the biggest and best in this organization. I'm going to go find them and I'm going to meet them and I'm going to learn from them. Yeah. And I kept asking people who are the top companies here? Who are the biggest ones? And you know, they were all independents at the time and people would point different people out. I had maybe 20 clients at the time. I knew nothing. And I little by little got to know several founders um, in my industry that have now gone on to, that built huge, huge human capital management companies, payroll, human capital management companies that have done done IPOs. Um, Tell tell the listeners what HCM is. HCM is human human capital management, which I hate that term really. Yeah. Um, It's, Payroll HR technology. It's a, it's a technology platform 
that handles anything from applicant tracking, recruiting, payroll, timekeeping, uh, benefit administration, employee engagement, which is really cool, learning. Everything management. about an employee from the time Everything. they, they yep. get recruited in the door, how they get paid, how they get training and, and uh, evaluated, right? It's called hire, hire to retire. <laughs> but it is a, it's back, you know, it's a technology play, which is why I moved from being a payroll only organization to what's called human capital management um, because it's so much more interesting. You can do so much more yeah. for your for your clients but you know so i met these guys that were had had run these big companies and and i learned a lot from them so i learned a lot you know about how to run you know how to start how to build a payroll company and that's what we did for the first maybe seven years um small business payroll and it was all about volume each client was worth about 1500 to two thousand dollars a year so you had to get a lot of them yeah um, but what, what I loved about it versus where I came from was no one client could ever hurt you too bad. Yeah. So if you lost one, you know, it wasn't devastating where in my past, you know, Nortel, NET, I mean, if you lose your, you know, you've got a couple, you've got one or two really large behemoths and mm -hmm. if you lose them, you're in trouble. Yeah. So I like the diversity of it, but about, I don't know, seven years ago, uh, the whole payroll world was changing. Everything was going, you know, um, banks were getting into payroll. Everybody was getting into payroll. And, and, and so it was a race to the bottom on pricing. So um, profitability dropped. And what, you know, started happening was companies wanted, you know, Workday was one of the bigger companies at the time that was doing this hire to retire technology platform, but it was mostly for large companies. Mm -hmm. um, Oracle, Workday, some of the bigger players. Yeah. But now some other players came in that were starting to, to um, take it down market some. So now there was an opportunity to sell a much you know, more robust technology platform to a smaller uh, target market. And I was so interested in that because it wasn't payroll only. It was so much more than that. And so we decided to, that's when we rebranded instead of being choice payroll, which had gotten us a really, you know, a long way. And we, we were so happy. We had grown a lot. Um, it moved us to, um, we, we wanted to kind of get the payroll word out of our name because mm -hmm. we were more than that. And yeah. thread, um, was the company was the name we chose. We hired a marketing firm to help us and they came up with two other names, both of which I did not like. So we paid a good bit of money for rebranding and we ended up going with a name that I came up with, which was thread. And the reason we came up with thread is it was one of the only words that I could come up with that had HR in the name. Yeah. And we knew we wanted to get into HR, HR outsourcing and HR technology. So we decided to rebrand to thread. And um, that was about, I don't know, that was about five years ago we rebranded, but we yeah. moved into selling an HCM HR technology platform about seven years ago. And this is probably software as a service? Software as a service. Yep. 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 So whether you're selling Salesforce or, uh, you know, Atlanta company sales loft who we yep. use, um, we use that for our inside sales team. Um, or it really doesn't matter. It's a, it's a SaaS platform. And, you know, we target now companies 
you know, it, we can go down to you know the smallest company possible, but I'd say the ideal is, you know, 25 to 500 employee companies. We've got some that are in the thousands. We have some that are still, you know, a, a couple people. Yep. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that's a great story to tell about just, you know, starting with an idea, running with it, evaluating how things are going, looking for opportunities, ways to grow, kind of tapping into your strengths and figuring out how to, to change in a different direction and constantly evolve. Cause you can't just sit still and, you know, not worry about the competition or the technology changes or, um, you know, are your, are your employees happy or whatever the case is. I mean, you have to constantly evaluate, assess and address. Right. Right. And I think I found out, you know, my strength really is in, um, you know, well, I'm resourceful. Um, I think leadership, I love growing people and it really doesn't matter. People, I remember um, my daughters would say payroll, there's no way in the world I'd ever want to get in that business. And now that they realize what I really do and they get, they're older, they're like, well, maybe I want to get into that business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But to me, it doesn't really matter what the product is. It's more about building an organization that's scalable, that is, you know, helpful to companies out there and that where you can grow people internally. So we're, you know, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this, but I am real big on culture. We're a very high culture company. We care about culture. We care about the people that work for us. And, um, you know, I kind of fashioned that after Zappos, mm-hmm. the, the online used to be shoe company. Yep. <laughs> now they sell everything and they got bought, bought by Amazon, but Tony Shea, the CEO, I, read a lot about him and, and I just loved the whole core value side, you know, build a company around core values, build a company around your people. They'll take care of your clients as long as you take care of them. And, and so I realized what I'm really good at is the, is the building part, building the organization around people. And um, it doesn't matter a whole lot about what you do. It's about building that, that team, about building that company um, of people that really want to be there. And, um, you know, our, our mantra is, you know, we build high performance, high culture companies. So if you have a high culture company with low performance, you are probably a nonprofit. If you build a, a high performance company with low culture, you're a terrible place to be. So yeah. we love high culture, high performance. And that's what we, that's our mission. You know, well, it is, it's great that you focused on culture because, you know, I mean, I've, I've been in consulting for a while now and there's, you know, that saying that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, because that means everything that you can, you can say the right things, but if that culture is not embracing it and down to, you know, from the highest to the, to the lowest person in your org structure, I mean, they've all got to buy into it. And if you've got a strong culture, people want to be there, they have fun. um, They really, you know, get along with each other and they're trying to get, you know, everybody to move in the same direction. And it's a lot easier with a good, strong culture. So, so hats off to you that you've actually addressed that. So, (laughs) (laughs) so a couple more questions for you. So obviously this is 2020 COVID's the big deal this year, right? So tell me a little bit about how that's affected your company, what you've done to sort of overcome some of the challenges. Yeah. So we went, um, we were all in office hundred percent, pretty much. I had a couple of remote people, but for the most part in office and the good news is, you know, we're kind of a microcosm of the economy because we have, um, you know, a couple thousand clients that are uh, small businesses, small to mid-sized companies. So as they start laying people off and this thing hit, um, we, 
you know, that, that affects us a little bit. So we went on a mission to help them um, help these companies in any way we could. So we, you know, we were doing town, live town halls and, and doing things to help them get PPP funding and all the kind of things that you hear about. Mm-hmm. We have an HR organization. We were helping, you know, companies get through these hard times of laying off people and, and how do we do that in a, in a humane kind of way um, and in a compliant kind of way. Um, but my whole, pretty much the whole team, we'd been prepared for this through the ice storms, you know, the uh, ice storms. Snowpocalypse. Yeah. Yes, no, snowpocalypse. And um, so we were ready for that. We had systems in place. We had processes in place. We follow uh, a system called EOS. It's Entrepreneurial Operating System. Mm-hmm. It's a book traction. And it's about building, you know, how to build an operating system for a small business. We follow that. So we already had really good processes in place around metrics and managing and how to run meeting meetings and all that kind of fun stuff. So it really, we didn't have much of a hiccup when we went remote. The only thing is um, I do have one or two people in the office because some people still like live checks. <laughs> yeah. And so I got a couple people that are in the office each day processing live checks and getting them sent out. Everyone else is remote at the moment, including my whole sales team and ops team. And um, we do mo- many, many Zoom meetings a week. Yeah. Um, we, we started off every week. I felt like people were missing each other. So we started off, we start off every single week, 8.30 on Monday. Um, I run a state of the company meeting on Zoom and everybody gets to hear from me and a couple managers on how we're doing and you know, what's new this week. We started out with some good news. I don't know if you watched um, some, did you see the some good news series that started? I did not No. Oh my gosh. I think oh. it's on Netflix or YouTube, YouTube. Okay. So when COVID first hit, um, the guy that played Jim in the office, can't remember his name. Oh yeah. John, was it Chris, Krasowski yes. or something? Yep. Or? Yeah. He started a thing called some good news. And it was like, he just wanted to share positive stories during this really negative time. And so we kind of kick it off with some good news and uh, that's how we we do. And then we have a virtual happy hour on Fridays for whoever wants to join. We have a uh, personal trainer that does a remote personal (laughs) training thing that everybody can join each week. And we're just trying to keep everybody connected. Yeah. The, you know, we started something called Thread Connections. So each week you're, you're um, connected to someone outside of your department. And you're, you, know, you can meet if you want to outside of the office, but I'm not having anybody come in if they don't want to. So we can meet virtually in, you know, or for coffee or whatever. So that's kind of how we're handling it. Um, and we're trying to help companies, all these small businesses, as much as we can. That's great. Cause I, I was curious to see like with the culture you just described earlier, how did you keep that culture alive and, you know, reinforcing that. And I know, you know, when we first all, you know, worked remote and zoom was kind of this new thing. I mean, we were doing video calls in general, but um, you know, it was more five people or less. And now like you're talking about this, you know, where there's virtual yeah. coffee or virtual happy hour and you've got 50 people on there, you yeah. know, it's, it's a whole different dynamic. And especially um, at the end of the week, you know, we start off like, oh, yeah, we're going to eat on this. It's going to be great. And then pretty soon you realize, man, I've been on like eight hours of video calls. And the last oh, thing draining. I want to do is look at another screen, you know. So um, so it is it is a challenge to sort of keep people, you know, engaged um, and motivated. And, 
you know, I've joked on other podcasts where now everyone's remote all the time. And it's not like, I, I can't figure out if I'm working from home or if I'm living at work because there's no line that no. is really there anymore. And it's different when, you know, when I was traveling a lot, you know, you, I would still work from home a good bit, but there was a break where you could be going and being at the customer location. But now everything is, you know, within these four walls of your house. And it's, uh, it does take a little bit more intentional effort to connect to engage with your customer to understand reading people you know the sales process is very different too and you're trying to you know look at somebody on a video screen and sometimes their camera's not working or they don't want to have it on or you know they're not responding because it's just a different just a different vibe on a on a video call than it is in person so yeah a lot of things have changed around around how you operate well i've got you know i've got young people that are on my sales team who are recently out of college and i think you know they were they were uh, used to going out meeting people in person and doing networking and things like that. Now everything is remote yeah. and virtual and you know, that's a challenge. So we're just trying to um, try different things. You know, I yeah. think it's, it's important to um, you know, the, the great thing about it is when we were competing with some of the big guys who have sales forces in different cities all over the country, it'd be tough for us to compete there if I don't have a local person. Well, mm-hmm. now everyone's virtual, so we're all on the we're all new game, right? Even ground, right? Yeah. And so we're we're taking advantage of that and trying to, um, you know, because I've got a, I've got a great team. I, I feel really good about them, and and they're they're I think there's more opportunity now to not have to be in person at least yeah. for now and, yeah. and go compete with the big guys. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's, and it does, you know, it, it sort of makes that country smaller because you don't have to get on a four hour flight to go to the West Coast and you can set something up and you can bounce around. So it does give you opportunities that maybe sometimes you didn't necessarily have or not at the same rate that you that you used to. So that's, you know, when you bring up the fact that everybody's on these videos, that's that work is almost could be almost work and home is now combined. The one advice, the piece of advice I gave my team, because I could feel that they were, um, they're doing a great job and we've had unprecedented uh, net promoter scores with our clients. So we've had, we have the highest survey results we've ever had. And we always pride ourselves on customer service, but it's higher than ever. And I think a lot of our people are enjoying getting a couple hours back of their day. Not Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I've noticed this because I was kind of judgy about people that were you know, if they're working remote, you know, you hear a dog barking in the background or you hear like, you know, kids right. running around or whatever. And, you know, I, I've had three kids and I, I know what it's like at home, but there was always this, hey, you know, if you can't control your environment, you need to just come in the office, you know. Right. But now everyone's in the same game. And so, you know, if FedEx shows up at the front door and the doorbell rings or whatever, I'm less concerned about, you know, trying to hit that mute button quick. It's like we're all living this, this life, you know? This crazy and life. Yeah. So it's, I've become more, more tolerant and more acceptable. And, you know, sometimes you have like one of the guys I work with has got a seven month old. And so he'll, he'll grab a, you know, little girl and put him up on the screen. And, you know, we all have a good yep. chuckle about that. And it's great. It's, it gives you a little bit more humanity in your day. And it also, to your point, it gives you a little bit more accessibility to family time. So I'm, I'm probably working more now than I was before all this started but I'm not, I don't have the two hours of commute time in a day. So I can shut the laptop off. And in, you know, five minutes, we're having a dinner conversation with, you know, my daughter that's now graduated or, or just family time with my wife, you know, that I didn't have before. So it's, it's really cool. And I think it depends on the person and the position, obviously, but you know, 
What we're going to do is we're going to stay. We're going to always, we will, at least for now, we will have an office, um, but we're going to be a lot more flexible. People are going to be able to work the way that they want to work as long as they are able to do so. Yeah. So I have some that would, you know, we will continue to have in-office or in-person meetings um, and company strategy sessions and in, in, you know, team building types of things to continue. Cause I think humans are meant to connect. And yeah. I also think for young people, um, what's difficult, I'm seeing, you know, my, my oldest daughter who's working virtual and my, her boyfriend's working virtual started a job uh, virtually and having to be on eight hours a day of zoom training classes, mm -hmm. which sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, I think the hard part for young people is growing your career in a remote environment because what you do miss is you don't, you may work, you know, your boss, your direct boss is going to see what you're doing, but you miss out on some of those relationships that you may have in the office with other managers, right? Um, other people that you can learn from, you may not get that connection, you know, that time with them. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge and why I think in office time will continue to some extent because yeah. I think growing a career is more difficult virtually. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, you know, I started my current job a week before the world shut down. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. And I think for me, what I had to do is be much more intentional about networking. So to your point, I can't just have a dialogue with my manager and some of my peers. I need to sort of seek out other people in the organization that either have, you know, they're working on accounts I'm interested in, or they got some skills that I want to know more about, or they were in a training class with me. They asked some really sharp questions. I want to get to know them. So I've had to seek them out. And that's, you know, I try to get two or three of those a week just to sort of get that exposure because I have seen the other side that you described where, you know, you go to, you know, an all hands meeting or you're in a meeting with a customer and there's some other engineers that show up and you have a little chit chat before or after the meeting and you don't really get that on a Zoom call anymore. So you have to really figure out, okay, this is a person I want to know more about or I'd like to introduce, you know, some of my skills and be able to help out with whatever this project is. So yeah, it's, it's much more driven, I think, and more focused than just, hey, I just chatted somebody up the hallway or at the you know, break room or whatever. So it's right. different, very different. Right. Well, last thing for you, and I'll let you go. I appreciate your time tonight. But um, so I ask everybody this at the end, what advice <laughs> would you give to a younger you? So go back to high school, uh, go back to college or starting a job, sort of knowing what you know now, um, what would you change or what would you reinforce that, uh, that you maybe weren't aware of back then? You know, I saw that question and I love that question. Um, I'm one that never likes to go back and say I would do much different because I feel like I'm where I am because of what I've gone through. Yep, exactly. Um, you know, my, I think my biggest advice, I've told this to, you know, I wouldn't change anything as far as high school, college, I did all the right things. I mean, I learned a lot. I love uh, my choices were, were perfect for those, you know, uh, where I went to school. Um, I, you know, Frito-Lay, I think, you know, you could say, well, maybe I wouldn't have picked that job, but it got me where I was. So it's, I never go back and have regrets on anything that I did. It's hard to, it's hard for me to ever say if I, uh, if I had it to do over, I'd do something different. Yeah. My only advice that I would give is, um, uh, you know, for, and I, and I've given this to my daughters is 
it's great to go work for a big company right out of school. I think you get a big, you know, you get a lot from big resources and companies that have big training organizations. And then I always tell them, go for a smaller company after that, because you go get the, the big company background and, and they train you and teach you a lot. But then when you take that skill and you go to a little bit smaller organization, it doesn't have to be tiny. It doesn't have to be a small business. It can be midsize like uh, NET was for us, right? Mm -hmm. Or for me. Um, smaller business will allow you to see so much more than you yes. would see in a larger one. And you, 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 instead of being very narrow in your focus, you're going to get to, to experience a wider breadth of, of things in, and, and see maybe, you know, how you may be an engineer, but you may see how the PNL works, or yeah. you may be, you know, in the accounting side and see how development works, where if you're in a big corporation, it's really hard you get a lot of training, but I, I always recommend go to a small business at least once and, and learn just how a business works. That's great advice. And, and I think, cause I've, I've gone to smaller companies and I've been in, in several big companies and it's almost like getting a graduate degree or an MBA when you get to that smaller company, yeah. because you are seeing the entire world of that company and you get to, you know, sit across the table from the president or CEO Hear how decisions get made, pitch ideas. And like you said, you see sales, you see marketing, you see product, you see engineering, you, know, you see finance. I mean, all those things you have really great visibility to that you're right. In a bigger company, they're very specialized, very segmented. Sometimes they're on a different floor in a different city, you know? And so, right. yeah, it is, it is really good. And you see the speed of how a small company can operate. And for somebody like you that was really frustrated with some of the bureaucracy and the slow moving aspects of a larger company, probably energized you a lot more. Oh my gosh. Yes. So yeah. that, you know, that's the only thing I, I, I would have been more intentional about my career path maybe if, you know, in hindsight, yeah. but you get to where you need to be through, you know, trying different things. I just, I kind of feel sorry for people who went to work for a company um, and stayed there, you know, maybe doing the same thing their whole career because they didn't get to experience different things. Yeah. And, and you don't know, I have a 23 year old right now who's worried about her whole career. You know, she's like, well, where am I going next? And what should I do? You know, in this business and da, 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 da. And I said, Oh my gosh, you, you have your whole life ahead of you. <laughs> Enjoy what you're learning right now. Yeah. Most likely it won't be what you're going to be doing 10 years from now, yeah. but you're 23 and you've got a long time to learn. So yeah. learn, learn everything you yeah. can, you know, and, and, um, and just be valuable to the person that you, you know, person or team that you work for, you know, just be that, that go-to person. And, and, um, that's what I, that's what I tell them is, you know, try some different things. Don't overthink it. And, um, I think small business can be a great way to learn a lot. And you may go back to a big company after that, but you will have seen a lot while you're, you do your tour of duty in a smaller company. Well, you would have a different perspective. I know I did too, because I used to think, well, you know, somebody's chasing down invoices and they're just annoying. Well, no, there's a reason <laughs> behind it, right? You know, right. so if you're, if you're dealing with the software development team and you get this phone call all the time, you're just like, oh, for what? Just sign. I don't care, you know, but yeah, you understand it now. Vendors have to get paid and, you know, you're negotiating things based on past history and there's a lot of things that play into that. So yeah, it definitely, definitely comes uh, much clearer. So 
Great advice. Well, Lori, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a lot of fun. It was great catching up with you and great hearing about your career. You too. Thank you. It was so much fun. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks. We'll have to, we'll have to come back and revisit maybe after uh, six months how, uh, how COVID's shaped your, your organization in 21. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. All right. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.